I'm Evan DeWald, and I am joined by Tara Lindsley, and we are the voices behind the Unpacked Podcast. On the Unpacked Podcast, one of the things we love to do is talk about life and storytelling, and sometimes life gets messy and vulnerable and all those things. So we have conversations, conversations with counselors, with psychologists, with industry leaders, storytellers, and just regular humans that are making a difference in the world. Yeah, and we're just hoping to grow and reflect and heal together. So you can find our podcast anywhere you subscribe to your podcasts. New episodes come out every Thursday. Enjoy. Make sure to like and subscribe. See you there. Hey, Tara. Hey. That was extra, a little bit extra Tara for you. Yeah, I noticed. You know, because we're actually doing this one on the Zoom. We don't like that. No, we don't. I feel like I have to bring more energy to a conversation. You do. Yeah. Anyway, I we're doing this on Zoom because we, I'm away. Yeah, you're leaving for a week. Yeah, I'm going to be out. Where are you going? In the wilderness, out to the world. (laughs) I'm going on a nature walk. You know, really, that's that's what this is about. Beautiful. You're not going to say what you're really doing? Well, we'll see. Maybe nature will have a gift for me. You know, we'll see if it has a gift or not. (laughs) Uh, No, I know some of this will upset some listeners, but I go for a walk and then sometimes I take my gun with me and I see if I can feed my family a little bit. So I'll be heading out um, this next week. So yeah, looking forward to it. this year. Yeah. A very exciting part of this year. I'm taking my, my youngest with me. Fun. Yeah, so I, that's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Otto's pretty pumped about it and yeah, it, sh- it should be a good time. We'll see how it goes. Is he excited? Like, is he interested yeah. in learning all about it? Oh yeah. Yeah. He's very excited. Yeah. I didn't have to convince him. Oh, cool. Well, also you missed school. So yeah, you do you get to miss school. Well, that's kind of part of a deal with him and I made this year. He's going to get a chance to have a few more experiences. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be good. That's awesome. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll see you. I heard he, um, he maybe lost something this week again. He's, <laughs> he's in the thralls of losing things. Uh, a tooth. Another tooth, which is super exciting. I, and uh, he gets a car every time he loses a tooth, doesn't he? Yeah, he gets a little Hot Wheels and and a dollar, which he calls monies. So he has four monies. Four monies. Okay. Yeah. I think grandpa gave him an extra dollar. So I don't, he's only lost three teeth, but he has four monies. So he's feeling very rich and a really super speedy car that he was thrilled about this morning. Oh, I love that. I yeah. Love and that. he, he showed me how he thought the tooth fairy snuck into his room and snuck out. So he showed me his sneaky walk is what this morning's discussion was. You have to take a video post the sneaky walk for us. <laughs> I will. He also asked me, why is the tooth fairy a she? And I was like, oh, that's a really good question. I think the tooth fairy identifies with her pronouns as her and she. So that's yeah. as far as I know. I wonder why. That's a great question. Um, so another thing that we were talking about before we press record. Yeah. Did you hear it? No, I didn't hear it, but I, I do hear that there's like potentially a fourth soul living at your house. <laughs> Is that right? Like what? Pretty, yeah. I'm pretty sure we have a ghost all day yesterday on and off. A toy has been going off. So you know what that means? Ghost. And which, which toy is it? What? It's not the annoying fire trucks you gave him. It's <laughs> a Paw Patrol one that I didn't realize makes sound, but it does. It makes a lot of sound and it sings songs. And sometimes it just sounds like it's like a car starting. 
in my house. And it just went off a few minutes ago when we were talking, actually. You know, not to creep you out, but are you sure it makes sound? <gasps> I think so. <laughs> no, I'm questioning it. <laughs> what I think you need to do is a test. You have to take that toy and drive 20 miles away from your house. So you outrun the spirit. Oh, okay. And then check to see if it makes a sound. That Then you'll know if it legitimately makes a sound or if it's just, you know. Got it. What if I have a ghost? Oh, yeah. We have ways of taking care of that. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah for cool. sure. It's it's a bit of a smoky thing. It's a little hard on the eyes, <laughs> but, but I think we can take care of it. Oh, good to know. Okay. Well, I'm not that afraid, but I am like, this thing keeps going off and off and off and I'm home alone and it's silent so I can hear it and it's weird. Yeah, that's unsettling for sure. You should be afraid probably. You know, a good level of fear <laughs> is good for you. <laughs> You're not helping. <laughs> I, I'm just such a good friend. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Be afraid, actually. <laughs> <laughs> hey, last night was fun. Actually, yeah. is fun the right word? Probably not. It was a rich experience last night. I I really enjoyed the group of people that showed up. And what I'm referring to is that we, as a part of kind of wrapping up the shoulder to shoulder series on inclusion and belonging within the context of the church. We decided to see if people wanted to get together and chat about it. You know, mm-hmm. What they heard, what was hopeful, what they wish we had talked more about. And even we talked a little bit about like barriers for change and why why is it that change can be so hard, in particular in organizations and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. um, I was thrilled by by how many people came and those who contributed and were kind of a part of the dialogue and the conversation. It was it was a rich time. I think that's the word mm-hmm. I would use for it. It was very rich. And um, some of our previous guests came. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, and you know what, even in light of some of what was going on in, in our country yesterday, um, which was. Or last week. Yeah. yeah last week, <laughs> which was the 20th. Um, it just so happened that it fell on the same day. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I'm not going to, I think one of the things we want to do on Unpacked is, is do our best to tell the truth. And um, yeah, we had to spend some time just talking about how people were feeling. And mm-hmm. it was an unsettling day for many people who were on the call in particular, I think so. It was important. Yeah. I think it was important to have that space. And it also was encouraging, like a lot of people were from our community here. And I think mm-hmm. it was a good reminder that it mattered. It mattered to them. And they are trying to find spaces to be able to talk about these things too. And even if you're just listening at home, there are other people that are mm-hmm. around who are feeling the same way and experiencing some of the same things and feeling unsettled by what was happening, but also just trying to sort through some of where their beliefs lie and how do they care for it? Like specifically the LGBTQ plus population, but other marginalized groups and how do we stand up beside them? And it was good because it was such a good mix of people. Like there were people in that community, people who are allies, people who are educators. Like it was just a really good mix of perspectives that we got to hear from. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I was glad I did it. You know, the stress leading up to it was kind of like, well, it's going to be a no, a no show. Yeah. Um, Because I did have a lot of people who were like, I'm wishing I could be there, but I have this, that or that tonight and, and couldn't make it. So yeah, we definitely could, we could do something like that again. I think so. Someone else emailed and said that they were hoping it was recorded. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I don't always like doing that because I think people should have the space to have yeah, a free discussion. Yeah. But 
it did make me think, yeah, we could do that again and offer something like this again. Yeah. 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 As soon as you press record, something around the safety thing starts to kind of become in jeopardy, I think a little bit, you know? Yeah. So, um, this week, what do we got on? It's, it's Deb Wandler. Yes. Good remembering. Yeah. Well, I wrote it down. And <laughs> she's uh she's a coach and she, she essentially writes, uh, helps writers to write, like does poetry circles and those kinds of things where people are writing and trying to come creatively kind of communicate what's going on. And she, she's kind of her, her passion and her desire to kind of draw that out of people. Yeah. yeah and creating so. safe community. That was what we talked a lot about with her too, is how she creates safe places for people. Cause she's a former social worker who did, who yeah. ran groups and facilitated groups and made spaces safe. So that's something she's now using in her writing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, this is a great conversation. Um, yeah. I hope that this is something that like challenges people and encourages them to kind of think about, well, what are the ways in which you access um, your thinking? Well, what are the ways that you access your heart? You know, one of the things we've talked about, and I end up talking about a lot in coaching is that it's like to write uh, for somebody in the heart triad, you know, if you use Enneagram language, somebody in the heart triad, when they write, they use their body to write. Oftentimes their thoughts come out on paper. Mm-hmm. And for people in the head triad, when they start writing what they think, oftentimes it turns into what they feel and their feelings come out. That's part of the way I think writing is just one of the most important ways of of reflection and kind of accessing kind of what's going on in our interior lives. And so this is a good all around healthy practice yeah, uh, to learn, to learn to write and articulate thought and articulate feelings and all those kinds of things. So anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to this episode. I hope that our, our, our listeners um, are, you know, are kind of challenged to me do some writing. Yeah. We love when people like, share, and subscribe and do all the things. I know I say that every week. It's a big deal. It's really the only way for people to hear what we're up to and what we're doing and to kind of get a part into kind of what's happening. And uh, honestly, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share an episode um, with a friend or in your on your own social media. Yeah. And you said last night, too, it actually reminds people when they share an episode with you. It reminds people that you're a safe person to talk about those things that you're looking at. Yeah, it's so true, right? Yeah, if you share if you share an episode with somebody, you become a safe person, at least in some way, to for people to talk about at least that particular topic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, um, we sure love that people listen, and I hope that everybody's having a you know a good story worthy week, so to speak, and that they write it down. Yeah. They write it down. Yeah. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Tara, this is going to be a fun day today. Yeah, I'm excited. We have Deb Wandler here Mm -hmm. and she's a writer. Yeah. uh, Really a storyteller. And she helps people do do a lot of story writing. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be talking about about lots of things from that. So we're, we're glad for today's episode and the opportunity for that. This is something we care a lot about. Yeah. Actually, this topic of story has, uh, has been something that, you know, both of us in different ways have been talking about our entire lives. Yeah. 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 And uh, both professionally, but also like personally, we, we really care a great deal about stories. So, And creating safe environments, which is what you like to do too yeah. in groups. 
So can you tell us a little bit about like just the fact sheet of who you are and like, so that our listeners get a sense of kind of, okay, who is this? They can't see you. So who is this on the other line? And, and I, I have a new way of asking this question. I've been asking our guests. If you um, were on a sports card and there was a picture on the front and then the stats are on the back, um, what would the picture on the front be of? And where would you be if it's you on the picture? What would where would you be? And and then some of the stats behind it. So who's who's who are you? Who's Deb and what is she about? Oh wow, that's a great way of of oh man. You know the first I the first thought of the picture that came to my mind was a a photo of me at, with my grandson when he was around two and walking and holding his hand. And um, and it's interesting to think about that. I mean, that's not the foremost thing in my life, but that's the thing that gives me the most joy right now is being a grandparent. So so that would be probably the picture that I would. I love that. And um, the back would say that I'm I'm um, um, a retired social work educator, a writer, um, married for 43 years, two children, two adult children, three grandchildren. And. You know, the desire to continue to offer what I can to others as I learn and grow and continue to learn and grow. Love it. And wh- where where do you live? I live in the beautiful West Kootenays in uh, British Columbia. We're about we're in a little city called Castlegar and we're about um, 40 minutes from the U.S. border. So very, very south, very close to the border. And interestingly enough, I grew up in Trail, which is 20 minutes south of where we are. Never really thought about living in the area all my life and not necessarily wanting to get away. But, you know, when the opportunity after we'd worked away, my husband and I had been away for a number of years when the opportunity came to get close by again, we like I couldn't wait to get back. So the Kootenays are kind of this area is kind of in my blood and it was really hard to, um, to be away from it for sure. So what were you, uh, so growing up there, what were you like as a kid? Like, were, were you the adventurous? Like, I always imagine if you live in a space like that, you're an outdoorsy <laughs> kid who's, you know, dirt, dirty all the time. Climbing rocks. Absolutely. Okay. okay. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We spent our days outside and we laughed, you know, when we had our own kids, it was like they couldn't walk to the store on their own and they couldn't, you know, do this on their own. And, you know, we were out, we, we went out in the morning, maybe came home for lunch, probably came home for lunch. And then we were back in at supper time. And that was in the summer, of course, and when the weather was good, but we were always outside and we lived in an area that but up to a, a mountainside and there was lots of rocky crops and stuff to to climb. And we were all climbers. We were always out um, climbing in the summer and packing things with us so we could set up a house or whatever it was. Yeah, we make were cars or or whatever. But we yeah, spent a lot of time outside and and that was just the way. And everybody was kind of, you know, you didn't worry about your kids. You didn't worry about things happening, even though things did happen back in the 50s, I'm sure as much as not as much, but certainly happened. But um, yeah, we had a lot of freedom as children, I'd say. Love yeah. that. So what so now that just 
creates for me another question. So like, what, what was the worst injury you had <laughs> as a kid? Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. When I was six, my fourth oldest sister was getting married and we had a company coming from all over. So my cousins were there and we lived up on a bench at that time. And there was a long hill, windy hill that went up to the bench and and staircases that you could go down, but you had to come down the stairs and then you had to cross the crosswalk on this road that was, you know, this big hill. And um, my cousins and I waited and all the cars stopped and I, we walked out and this kid on a bike came down the hill and around the corner, of course, couldn't stop because he was going too fast and hit me. And um, so I was thrown up in the air and I ended up only with a Nobody ever talked about concussions, but I ended up with a cracked collarbone. And uh, my brother-in-law, one of my brother-in-laws at the time, was on his way home. And he, of course, saw it, saw it and ran and picked me up and left all the other kids on the road and came, you know, brought me up home to mom. And and uh the interesting or the sad thing about it, or the hard thing about it was my sister was getting married the next day. My mom was doing all the cooking. Oh, oh wow. no. You know, and and so this happened at a really, you know, difficult time for her. But, you know, I remember her. I just remember being carried in and, you know, not really being. I don't know if I was knocked out or not, but just sort of coming to in my mom's arms and and just the energy around that and what it what it meant for her that day, for sure. Yeah. And me, but for her. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. You're already got laws on your plate and then you have to be afraid to. Be scared, yeah. concerned, yeah. or whatever. whatever the, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh. So, what were you like then as a kid? So, I'm I'm doing some math. So, you were six. You were six. So, and your sister was getting married. Yeah. So, are you the youngest in your family? What were? I'm the youngest of seven, and um, six years younger than my next sister. So, it's sort of an only child kind of almost experience, even though my. You know, my older siblings were all leaving as I was a child. That was the fourth oldest, and she was leaving when I was six. My oldest sister was married before I was born. And um, and so, yeah, I was the youngest. And, you know, I think I had a lot of attachment issues around my mom because my mom was busy. And a lot of the time I spent, um, uh, you know, a couple of my older siblings probably did most of the, the caring for me as a, as teenagers, because my mom had a lot going on. But I also, once everybody was gone, my mom was very attentive. And I, I wrote the story about, you know, coming home at lunch, like I lived in a, not far from where I went to school, walked home at lunch, and my mom would, you know, I'd have a sandwich on the table, and then out would come the snakes and ladders game or whatever, you know, we'd be playing games at lunch. And someone said, Oh, my God, never had that happened in my family. And it was just, you know, so she was present when she could be, um, but was busy. Yeah. yeah. Um, would this be one of the stories that you would use to give, have given you a perspective on the world that or, or were there were there other inciting incidents for you that went, oh, this is a story that's most definitely coloring the way I'm seeing this experience now in my adult life? Yeah, I'm just trying to think, you know, one of the when I was reading through the questions and thinking about um, where I got my start in the work that I do. You know, the the my staying in the in the Catholic Church, I I ended up um as a teen and young teen, till I was probably 16, um, with a youth group 
with the church. And we did, uh, it was sort of like a, we did retreats and we got together with kids from the surrounding towns and stuff and priests and nuns and whatever. And um, I was just thinking about how much I loved those groups, especially the retreats, because we'd sing a lot together. That was part of it, right? You know, we'd sit in circles together and we'd sing together. And I loved that. I just loved that sense of coming together and um, and being together with other kids in that way. And I think one of the things that I learned um, that I did for the first time ever in something like that is what we would do is we would, you know, we when we connected with someone really strongly, a friend like a kid or in the group, we would uh, at the end, we would offer each other something of ours that we really loved or valued. Hmm. You know, so mm. it, it might be a little pin that you wore or, you know, it wasn't anything of great value, but it was something that we could give to say, you know, I'll remember you and they would give something back to us. I think that like that, that sharing of each other in that way changed something for me. It grows a connection mm-hmm. with another human, right? Yeah. Because you, you've given some something and you've received something from them. Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't just a one-way thing. It's a get back and forth. It's a giving. I love it. Hey, um, so you end up you end up becoming a social worker. Essentially, that's the first thing you did, right? Sort of. Like I went to I went off to the University of Victoria uh, when I graduated from high school to become a social worker, and I didn't make it to past um, October, and I came home. So I never got I never became a social worker until twenty years later. When I went back to school, did the degree um, distance and um, uh, finished it that way. But I, you know, I had done I had done a community recreation program, and then I came back to Castlegar and I did a I did the social service worker certificate at the college, which was a one year. They they called they were called we were called paraprofessionals back then. So we had a certificate in the field and a good understanding of the basic practice of social work theory um, and practice. And I worked with that for, well, from uh, 1978 until I started my degree in 91. Wow. Hmm. It's so interesting just how much that that whole profession has has grown. And so and and interestingly enough, it's I think it's one of those professions that's grown out of necessity. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's like, oh no, we're, you know, my, my, my observation of social workers who are at least working in child and family services and some of those places is that it's, it always seems that they're, you know, coming up for air, Mm -hmm. that it's a desperation to grow and learn new ways of, Mm -hmm. of engaging people, new ways of, you know, all the, everything, everything from, it's not just abuse that a social worker is dealing with and having to work through and figure out and like all of those things. It's like, it seems they've grown out of necessity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What drew you to it? Like, why did you go right there after high school? Um, because I decided in grade 12, standing in the school library with a carousel of pamphlets in front of me that I wanted to be a social worker and I wanted to save the world. I wanted to go out and do something that would make a difference in people's lives. And, and I think it all came from being part of, I, it all stems back to being part of that group that, you know, of helping and being with and caring about other people. And I wanted to do it for work, but, you know, I had no idea what it was really about until I got my certificate and started working in it. And I, you know, I'm teaching 
and, and, you know, and telling my students like, this is hard work. This isn't easy stuff. And we don't all do child protection. Um, we don't all work in addictions. Um, we don't all work with violent uh, family violence, but we all, but that's all part of our knowledge. And every single person that we come in contact with has something, some experiences of trauma in their lives that they need support with. So I don't know if that answered your question. No, it absolutely did answer our question. So I, I am curious to know, so you, you didn't make it the first round. I didn't. Uh, I was too young. I was too young. And, you know, I was taking university courses and and um, and I had some scholarships that I that I had gotten and I was taking university courses and I didn't I just it was way over my head for the you know, for where I was in my um in my uh, maturity, I think, at that time and being the youngest and, you know, being away from home at that time was hard. Yeah. Well, and it says something about you too, though, that it's like, so you go back 20 years later. So a lot of people would have just been like, yeah, I tried it. It wasn't, I'm not made for that. I'm not suited for that. That's not for me. That, you know, a lot of people would just use that narrative to never, never go back, but here you go back. So what, what drew you back 20 years later then? You know, I, I had done the certificate, so I had worked in the field and uh, done group work. And I think I, I, I'm trying to remember the specific incident. I had a friend. So we were living in the cusp and the cusp is a really uh, rurally isolated place. And I met a woman and I, I want to tell the story of my journey of, of group work, too, because it's it's um, all part of it. But but the woman that I got close to that I met, she was doing her degree in social work distance. So from you know, she would, and, and then it was paper copy. So she was sending her assignments back and forth yeah, and, yeah. you know, getting on phone calls once in a while um, to talk with people. And, and I went, oh my God, because up to that point, I went, I can't go back to university. There's not a university here. I've got two young kids. I, it's never going to happen for me. And so when I, when I met her and she was doing that, I went, oh, I could do this. It's possible. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, it's a funny thing because I would say that's how we do a lot of things in life. Yeah, you're right. We get the courage based on what somebody else has done. Like uh, Tara and I um, are each adoptive parents. We have adopted children, us from Ethiopia, and and Tara and and her husband from from South Africa. And it is one of those things where this community of people, we we felt brave enough to do an adoption because we knew somebody that had done one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and now we're fortunate because there were some people who got brave enough because they had seen us do one. Mm-hmm. And and the good gift and for us in that has been that we get to watch them too, because you know, we get to actually watch some of these children grow up, which has been pretty fun. Yeah. But I, I do think there are moments, right, where we don't have the courage to do some things without being able to see others who who have gone before us and have done some things. But especially others we admire too, you know, that we like and think, oh wow. Hey, Tara. Hey. You know, life happens. Oh, does it? And there are sometimes when it feels like it might come over you. Totally. And and you, you it's either grow or die. That was dark. <laughs> I know. I went dark there, right? But for real, it feels like that sometimes the hopelessness or the loneliness that comes with that. Yeah, exactly. That's a little bit of what I do with people in coaching and in particular in group coaching. 
Yeah? Like what? Most of my clients end up coming to group coaching because they're kind of in a season of transition or they really want to learn something new and kind of get out of kind of the rut they're in or the, the stuckness they're in. And so they come to group coaching because they're they're looking for something that's cost effective and has a component of community. Why is that important? I think that community is this place, it's the space where you can practice a little bit. And so group coaching provides this opportunity for you to learn about the Enneagram as a tool for growth and transformation and hear it from some of the other perspectives, the other types. So doing it together with people who are committed, like-minded people who are committed to growth, but in the context of understanding the different layers of the Enneagram can be one of the, the most helpful ways to find yourself moving out of that stuck place. That sounds really helpful. Are you doing another one or how can people yeah. get involved? My next uh, group coaching session starts in on October the 4th, actually. And we're taking registrations right now. And you can check that out at unpackedpod.ca forward slash coaching. You can DM me at Recess Creek on Instagram. If you've been listening to the podcast and you're curious about how each type is motivated, how how maybe your instinctual stacking works or your stances or even some of those key questions that you could be asking yourself in your stuckness, this is absolutely going to be for you. That's amazing. What do you get and how much is it? Okay, so you get all those things in the context of a Zoom call. So you can be anywhere. In the whole world. As long as you know when Mountain Standard Time is, which we're <laughs> learning, not everybody does. Time zones are hard. You can join us on Zoom uh, at 7 o'clock starting our first session is October the 4th. Of course, we want you to register today and uh, get your name on that list because there is going to be limited supply. The cost is $235. And there's some goodies in there. Like what? Uh, you get some printouts, you get some some actual worksheets that you can look at and understand. Obviously, we're going to be, I'm pushing the podcast to be listening to our Everyday Enneagram series. And um, I also give discounted individual coaching sessions. This is a cost-effective way actually for you to learn the layers of the Enneagram in the context of a community and have access to these discounted one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions if you got something that you really want to work through that you're not quite ready to talk about with the group. I love that. Yeah. It's coming up fast. People need to sign up. They got to sign up. So check it out. Unpackedpod.ca forward slash coaching. And I'll see you there. I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit of kind of like, so you end up finding yourself doing social work around some, some group activities. Were you seeing that? somewhere else or were you having to be the person who was like forging the way oh no i was not forging the way with that um even though i didn't realize it honestly till i sat down yesterday and thought about this group as a young person that i belonged to i was living in in uh we were living in port mcneil it's a rural community on the northern tip of vancouver island and we had my husband worked in forestry so we were living up there. I had lots of different opportunities. When you live in a small place that's rural, you have lots more opportunities than you might have had anywhere else because there's not a lot of people that do or have what you do. And a friend of mine at the time, she had a, a degree in sociology, but she got um, she got hired to be part of this program out of the, the Courtney Comox area of uh, working with women living in isolated and rural areas. Uh, particularly in single industry towns with lots of addiction and alcohol 
issues, uh, family violence. And so she um, was part of bringing that, like part of creating that program with a group of people from the um, Courtney Comox. And she, she came up to me one day and she said, hey, we're hiring. We're looking for people who are interested in learning how to facilitate groups. Would you be interested? And I'm like, really? And she said, I think you'd be really good at it. Like, honestly, I think you should do it. And I'm like, I don't know. I have to think about it. But anyway, I did think about it. And I came back and I said, okay, I'll give it a try. And it was a six week, there were six uh, sections and we came together for two days, but, and they came up to the North Island and uh, we got together. So there was a core group of us that did the training and, and, and I, I have a picture I'd love to be able to share with you of, of us as a group. Um, and my son was with uh, with me. He was five months old at the time. And he's got this little goofy hat on and, <laughs> and uh, he's part of the group, right? He's five months old. So so it was for women with children. Like you, there was no limitations because you were a mom or that you had children. There was like everybody, it was for everybody and anyone. And um, the training was beyond anything I had ever thought about um you know even though i did study it in this uh, some some of the stuff in the ser- social service worker certificate that i took but we learned you know we were learning c- uh, communication skills active listening uh conflict resolution open questions you know uh, assertiveness just a broad spectrum of really um critical skills to use in relationships and and working with people. So they were amazing skills. And and then that group went on, that group of us that trained together, we met for a year, uh, once a month with all our kids together and each took turns facilitating our connection and and then we started to we formed a woman's collective and and I go like this because you don't hear of them anymore but it was really a, a group of women that come together and and just you know to work together and collectively so there's no no hierarchy everybody's at the same level we're all um we're all running the circle and the group together it wasn't easy I'm not saying it was easy but it was good learning and we ran these groups that was like the the one thing that changed that directed my career was that opportunity to live in a rural community and take a training like this that I never would have had anywhere else. Yeah, you wouldn't have even been considered it, right? No, I wouldn't even have thought about it, and I wouldn't have. I've never seen it anywhere since. So with that, I was able to work. You know, we moved from Port McNeil to Nacusp, and I um, that's how I met my good friend who was doing her degree, and her and I ended up um, facilitating groups together, um, moved to Castlegar, and a job came up at um, a place called the Women in Need Society. It was actually a transition house in Castlegar, I mean, in Trail, and then they were moving to... Um, they were moving out of the transition house into a little office to offer programs for families and, and folks. So, and again, a friend phoned me and said, have you seen this ad for this job in the paper? I think you'd be perfect for it. And I went, okay, I applied for it. I got it. And so I worked for six years as a family communication coordinator with um, the Women in Need Society. 
That was a really fascinating experience, too, because we moved from the Women in Need Society to become Trail Family and Individual Resource Society. And our group of folks that were there at the time, we wrote with that circle of uh, learning within that agency of just preparing people, giving people the skills to move through um, difficulties in life um, and uh, really in in an, an empowerment model. You know, like we're empowering folks by bringing these skills to them to um, to make change and and uh, in their own life. So is it is it uh, in your case at that particular time? And then we'll, we'll talk about what you're doing kind of now even, too. But is, was it was it mostly about teaching or was it mostly about practicing? It was mostly about practicing. And so the groups were all about, um, you know, we we were facilitators and oftentimes the model that I learned in um, uh, way back in, in 1982 was based on two facilitators. So bringing two people into a group um, facilitating together to model a balance of power and to model good communication skills with each other at the same time as you're trying to, you know, share or I guess there was a teaching component, but really it was about we would talk about something, we bring the topic into the group, and then we'd have activities, and then we'd do a debrief and find out how that worked for people. They would practice with each other, and then we'd move on to the next. Okay. Yeah, I would say like that, I think that's one of the most interesting things too, is like when you're in a group of with other people, you start to hear the other perspectives. You start to hear how other people even are processing through some of the maybe minimal information that you're teaching, but even how they how they go about mm-hmm. practicing it and doing some of those things. Like I, I do individual coaching. I can do individual coaching, but I've just finished up a lot, my, my latest session of group coaching. And what happens in a group is, is substantially different than what happens with an individual. And both, there, there isn't anything wrong with either. It, it, it's really, it is really just to say that it's like, even as a facilitator, and I'm doing, it's a, it's a hybrid. The first few sessions that I do in my group is a lot of teaching. It's like, here's yeah. the Enneagram, here's how it works. Here's, a, mm-hmm. here's all the information. And, and for sure, some of the people in the group are like, wow, the first two weeks are intense. Mm-hmm. Right. And then as you start to like, okay, now let's actually talk about how it plays out or how it practices out. Then I have to be a little bit quieter and, and, and actually just be a little bit more open to like, where will this go? As opposed to where do I want it to go? It's like, where will this go? Yeah. And it's funny because I have a quote on my on my computer and I don't know. I can't remember if I got it from a friend, where it came from, but it says, we can't truly lead a group. They can only lead themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's that part where we, you know, we can give them you know, the scales, we can give them parameters. And that was a big thing in the the groups that made them the way they were too, was, you know, we, we did group building, we had people get to know each other. It wasn't just about getting to know us, they got to know each other. And we set up at the beginning, we set up something called group agreements. And we didn't, as facilitators set, about, set it up, we worked with the group. What do we need to be here together in this circle? And, and, you know, of course, if they didn't, mention it and they always did uh, one of the things was confidentiality mm-hmm. you right. know if you're going to feel if you're going to come and be in this circle and you're going to share things about yourself you want to make sure that people aren't walking out of here and talking about you and so you know we talked about stuff like that and and there was like when to take a break and um and uh how do we deal with a difficult situation that arises you know and um and then giving people the space to do that and actually it brings to mind a story that i was uh 
once I had my degree, I was facilitating groups um, uh, for women in recovery. And they were called women, they were called the day evening weekend. It was called do the do program day evening weekend treatment program. And um, so we'd have, you know, six to eight women that were going that rather than have to go away to treatment, they could actually stay in their communities and do treatment. So we had a situation come up and it was a smaller group and there were six women in the group and and, you know, she was coming off of cocaine. She, she was addicted to cocaine. So she hadn't used for a while, of course, but she, that was her. So one of the, one of the women in the group noticed that she was like, she had Tylenol and she was like, you know, practically eating this stuff, you know, <laughs> and she pointed out to her, she says, you know, that's really kind of like, you know, an addiction, isn't it? When you're using, I can't remember the exact words, but it was something like that. And the woman got up. And she was lovely. I I had her in the group. She never left the group, but she got up and she stormed out of the room, right? Like she was being challenged and it was uncomfortable to be challenged. So she took off and then we didn't know, like, we're like, oh my God, what, is she, what do you think she's doing? Hopefully she's not going to use and we're trying to, so we're working together as a group and we just, we had made a plan together and we went out and looked for her in the, the small community we were in and found her and she was, no, I just needed to get away. I had to phone someone. I'm good, you know, came back. And then we talked about how we would, we talked about the whole experience together, what that was like in the circle. And, um, and yeah, she said, no, I'm not going to use, I just had to get away, but it was really um, empowering. Like I didn't have to deal with it on my own. I had the group to support me in that too. And we had been together a bit by then, but you know, they, they did the work too. And so that's empowering to them to see, hey, this can be handled in a different kind of way. How might we do this differently, you know, than we might have done before? And, you know, it's a few, like a couple of things you've, you've pointed out, like definitely in a small town, like you've just described, confidentiality is like a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Like I grew up in a small town, like gossip works, works. <laughs> And it, wor- it works in like big places too, but it really works in small places. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there is a great deal of fear. Like, can I trust this? Can I, you know, how can I do this? Or what does that look like? And, and I, I really like the, like the agreement, you know, this mm-hmm. is going to be our group agreement. And, and even the, even the, the capacity for a group of people to be able to come up with the, an agreement themselves, mm-hmm. not have it just be a, you know, this is the rules of the, of this group and that's how it is and like it or not this is what they are and you yeah. you, you do the, you follow them where you go and there maybe is a place for that right but I, I just I just love the idea of like when and how do we talk about the value of feeling safe in the context of community and that's what I just heard you say is like no we do this agreement so that everybody can at least try not everybody's going to feel safe every time, but at least they know that this is these are the ways that we're going to try to keep this this space safe. And even what we're going to do with it if something goes wrong. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, I think what happens too within a group, if you like, I don't think you can keep uh, people safe all the time. And especially when working with people in recovery and addictions, uh, you know, and in small communities, they all know each other. They might go out and talk like we can't guarantee that somebody isn't going to go out and talk to you to their friend because about you to their to your to their friend because they know they both know you. We we can't guarantee that. But if it comes up and we find out about it, we can talk about it. You know, we can work because we have that agreement. 
remember, we weren't going to do this. And you can't, so as a facilitator, you can't always control it. The way these groups are set up um, so that the facilitator is part of the group, um, but the facilitator is also holding a certain energy within that group by the way that he or she behaves. If you can create a, a welcoming open space where people can talk about stuff that they don't like as well as stuff that they do like as they come up, then people will, it will be, it will feel safe to them. And that's sort of what, um, and I'm sure you know this in, in your group work, that's group dynamics, right? How do you, how do you work? You know, one of the greatest learning and being in group is how do you work with the dynamics? You know, you got a person who talks all the time. How do you work through that? You got someone that says inappropriate stuff. How do you work through that? You got someone that wants to give everybody advice. What do you do with that? Oh, well, it's on a group agreement that we don't do advice giving. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't give people Mm -hmm. advice in this group. So we're not going to do it. And, and, and if it does come up, then you go, oh, remember we agreed that we weren't going to do this. And why? Why did we decide that we weren't going to give people advice? Right. Because it's disempowering. And especially with women. Because we're socialized to be caregivers in such an intrinsic way, it's hard not to want to help people when you see mm-hmm. something going on. And 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 it's but this is your group. This is for you too. You don't have to fix other people here. You can just take care of yourself. And that's not easy for for some women for sure. And uh, I remember being in a group. Um, I think it was at a women's conference. But I remember the idea of how, you know, being, you know, a feminist tenant is we understand that each that you, each other, the other person can take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Like we mm-hmm. we get it. You can you can do this. We can be here to to support you and to um yeah, to support you and to hold the space for you, but we have to trust in each other's ability. You know, we're all resilient. We've all been through stuff and we're here. So, you know, that, and I, when I learned that, I went, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a belief in your, your ability as, as a woman to manage, not to manage on your own and not to manage, you know, that you have to stay in difficult things, but that you can, you can work through this as stuff with a proper support and understand. Yeah, that it is mm-hmm. doable. Well, and even to trust that people will tell you, like they'll ask for help. So to trust that they can ask, and that's empowering too, to be able to ask for what you need as well. Absolutely. I was going to ask you though, with, like with the groups that you were running and when you were finding maybe some of the stories were challenging for you to hear, how did you manage to continue to hold the space and keep it safe? Like, were there things that you had to learn and grow in? That's a great, great question. And when I started doing, um, especially addictions, you know, uh, I, I, can't remember what the statistic was, but at least 75 or 80 percent of women with addictions issues have been sexually assaulted or abused. Hmm. And really what I'd found that every single woman in any one of my groups had had some experience of sexual abuse or violence in their lives. And those stories were hard. Um, And I but how I managed them was I had a. Uh, clinical supervisor. We didn't call it clinical supervisors then, but I had someone that I could talk to about what was going on um, and and share those stories with. Because they, they were, there was some pretty intense stuff. That was part of that training 
too, that I did in the 80s was, you know, the whole idea of a co-facilitator, which I didn't get very often in my my career later on because people thought, well, what do you need a co-facilitator for? You do it yourself, right? That was that that whole idea of you have to debrief this stuff. You have to have somebody to talk to about it. And so we would debrief after each session, you know, and, and, and then we come up with ideas of how to, what to do next time it came up or how we could do something about that, um, something different or offer something to support people in a different way the next time we saw them. So the debriefing part is it's good to do debriefs of different things mm-hmm. like this mm-hmm. because it, it helps you to know, okay, what would we do next time? Just like you said. I think I think also it's really healthy to debrief something intense that's just taken place for your own health, right? And so, sometimes it is just being able to say out loud, like, you know, before you go home from something, to be able to say out loud to another human, that went very badly. <laughs> or I, 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 I'm upset with that. And I know even for, for us, we've had some podcast records where we've done and I've been like, that was heavy. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling like that was heavy. I don't I don't have any more to say about it. Yeah. And we, you know, mm-hmm. eventually Tara will chip the pain away until she tries <laughs> to figure out what it was. But but yeah. but, <laughs> but sometimes it's just helpful to say that was a lot. Yeah. Or that was close to home or whatever. So I think I, th- I think that's one of those kind of things that can be really helpful even when we talk about, you know, you, you have a lifetime of experience in leading group. And, and I am certain that some groups, you know, people could share things and it was no problem. Just rolled off your back. It was no big deal. Even some of the intense things. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden somebody says some little thing, mm-hmm. some small little thing about something in their story. And all of a sudden it's like, whether it triggered a full on trauma episode or it just triggered a story that you haven't thought about or considered in a while. And, and there's uh, something really valuable about sharing that story out loud sometimes so that you can be free from it. In yeah, way. yeah, for you, sure. You've said a few things about uh, a couple of comments I thought were interesting. I kind of want to jump back and just pull out a little bit. Um, because because one, of them, one of them being, like, I love this setting up the rules. I love, you know, some of the things you, you made a list of things you learned. And you made reference to open-ended, open questions. Can you tell us, like, what's a what's an open what's an open question? What does that mean? I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> um, I have a definition of your struggle with it, but I, but I'd I'd love to hear yours. Yeah. Okay. Well, an, an open-ended, a closed question. Um, gets from people a yes or no answer. So you're trying to get something specific. Uh, Evan, did you turn off the sound on me? You know, that would be a closed question, Mm -hmm. right? And you Mm -hmm. go, no, um, or yes, or whatever. So it doesn't really expand. It doesn't allow people to expand and explain themselves. Now, some people will talk through closed questions anyway. Like some people, it doesn't matter. They can get a closed question and they'll talk about whatever forever. Um, There are those people. But an open question sets it up to, oh, I wonder, like, this is loose. I mean, I yeah, haven't yeah, done this for yeah, a while. Yeah. But, you know, I wonder what happened when the sound went off. Do you have any, you know, how how, how do you think that might have happened? How did that feel when your teenager stormed out of the house? What was that like for you? 
you know, rather than, oh, you must have been really angry when you're, you know, when your teenagers stormed out of the house or, or that must have been really upsetting. I don't know what it's going to be like for you. So I'm going to ask you something. I'm going to ask you a question in a way that I'm not putting anything on you from my preconceived ideas of, or experiences of what things are. And, um, and I'm going to give you space, open up space for you to talk more about it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think that that's a great description. And one of the, one of the ways I, I learned open and I did a class on it, but, but one of the things that I learned about it was like, it, it's the kind of question you couldn't possibly know the answer to or infer it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I'm not going to, you know, even in the question, sometimes we ask questions and we're inferring the answer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, that's great. Yeah, that, that's a great example. And you know, we we did that a lot. We did that kind of stuff. We call them check-ins at the beginning of our groups, and you put, might do that and have done that in groups. And it, we do stuff like that. If you were a weather system, what weather would you be this morning? Or if you have a, if there was a color that described how you felt right now, or that really, you know, what color would that be? And so gave people the opportunity to think about what was going on for them. And it gave the rest of the group an idea of where everybody, where each person was individually. So we've got a basis to start from. Oh, we got somebody that's tired and doesn't really want to be here. We've got this going on over here. We've got that. And and where do we go from there with it? So that's one place, I guess, where you can actually use open-ended questions in a group is in a, in a um, check-in kind of. Yeah. And it, I think too, it's like what, what I would find is interesting about it. Even for me, I, I do open-ended questions in different scenarios and situations with people. But one of the things I've noticed for me personally is I have to be willing to wait out the answer too. Yeah. Like I have to be ready to actively listen to what they say. I can't, I can't just, you know, and I, I think that I, I'll, I'll say my opinion. I think sometimes we ask closed-ended questions because we don't give a damn about the answer. <laughs> like we legitimately don't want to spend the time hearing their answers, so we just and 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 we might think we we know the answers, you know. Yeah, I, I used to say to my students, you know, when we when I was teaching them active listening skills and these kinds of skills, I I and I would laugh. I was just would just kind of joke, but I'd say, you know. Look, I don't have to do this stuff. Somebody could walk in, sit down across from me, and I could tell them exactly what was going on for them, where they needed to go, and what they needed to do. You know, like, you know, of course, I've got it all in my head. I can figure that all out. But that's not what we want. We want to hear from the person who we're talking to what it is, what it is for them, not what it is that we um, assume or, or perceive it is, right? So, and I know, and I would never do that, and I could never do that. But it, you know, we all in our head, we've had, we can make judgments on people, and and have ideas about what it's what's really going on for that person, right? Yeah. Look, you you've given us a a bunch of really good examples of circle and like different ways of leading groups, keeping groups safe, agreements, open ended questions, some of those kind of things. What when we and I, this is a tricky one for me, so I'm gonna I'll lay it out there because I worked in social development. And I've worked in social development using government funding. And what I find is fascinating is that in social development using government funding, everybody wants, at the end of using that government funding, you have to show the matrix of how valuable their money that they gave you was. And it's a very, in some instances, 
it's a very difficult because I believe life, I believe people experience life transformation in the context of group and relationship. Mm-hmm. And then when you ask me as an individual to put the monetary, all the matrix of the monetary benefit so you can get more funding. I, f- I find it very difficult to measure to say, well, here was the success of this, of this thing. We had, we had 30 people yeah. did this group and, 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 and then you can go, yep, check. Except what if only three of them were paying attention or even learned one thing, even in the group to me, that's, those are the three success stories. But the matrix of that, if you do the math, is pretty bad. It's not a very good per- percentage rate. But because it's so relational-based, and groups are relationship-based, that this is this is one of the things it's like, and it, I've heard you say it a few times, and it, it's an interesting thing, because it's like, no, this isn't so much about the things that we teach as much as what we practice and people experience. So I'm assuming you're going to tell me this when I ask the question, but what is the marker What's the marker of a successful group? What what are the what are the matrix? Well, one of my our markers for a successful group was if no one left the group. Oh, okay. yeah. You know, if we started off with eight and we ended up with eight, that was like woo, we had we kept everybody here, and there were some challenges, right? And uh, you know, I have a story of a woman that. Um, uh, came to one of my groups and she was, uh, she had three young children, like under four or something like early young children. Um, they were in daycare or in, in our, uh, with our, uh, children's facilitator and she was in our group and she had, she was closed, completely closed, but she came to the group and she came every week. And I thought that's a success. She's showing up here. She didn't necessarily participate at a open level for a long time. She actually, we actually had the opportunity to have her, you know, we had did ongoing groups. So she came back, I think, three times uh, to our eight or 10 week circles or uh, they were mostly eight or 10 weeks. Um, And finally, after a month or, you know, a few, a couple of sessions, even she started to share more. So for me, if she paused, if we did an exercise and she paused and she said, you know, we were sharing about what we learned or something. And she said even two words, that was success. Mm -hmm. And for her, it was success. Right. And um, and she do I think she. Uh, became a really good communicator and went on to live happily ever after after that I doubt it but she did co- leave with some sense of self in another in a group of people mm-hmm. right so she did get something out of it and and I um actually had taken a, a break from my a job to do my uh social work practicum and um, I went back and somebody had taken on the group and they were reporting her to child protection services and they were you know there was all these things all of a sudden that because she didn't you know cooperate and didn't um you know wasn't a a contributing member to the group and um I was not very happy because you know we had taken it had taken a long time to build trust with that woman so um so that she was a success story for me um you know I still have people 
that I come across in the community that did a group with me. And that's a long time ago now. I haven't worked actually just as a group facilitator facilitator since 1996. And um, who will remember the group. You know, remember, or I'll have a student coming into the one into my program. Often that happened that had been to a group of mine in the past and um, remembered pieces of it and what they had learned in it. Right. That's success to me. If it if it was a positive experience and they remembered it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I would say that's one of those interesting things as I've led groups. It's like it's so individual. It, success is so based on the individual's growth. At least that's what growth and transformation should be about. Is like, how do we meet people where they're at and help them take the next step? I was just going to say, we might be one of many steps. And that's what I, I always told my students when I was teaching um, social work courses is, you know, you really like, yeah, you do what you can to help someone, but you won't be the one and only person they ever go to for help. There will be others. They'll have lots of opportunities. And um, and so, yeah, you know, you can't be the be all and end all for one person. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Um, so how have you used this? Uh, how have you using and how are you using group now and circle ex exercises now in helping people to access parts of their story and to do some other things that are going on for them? Like I'm trying to set you up for kind of what you've been passionately about these days. Yeah. Yeah. What am I doing? I am um, working uh, with a seniors program. This is the sixth year I've been working with them. Um, a past student of mine uh, started the program and she asked me if I'd like to get involved. So I volunteer with them. And I also have a paid position that is teaching chair yoga and um, and writing circles, leading writing circles. So we meet once or twice a month. We'll break for the summer, but we meet twice a month. I teach the chair yoga every Tuesday. And I really I run that group. I run that group as a. It's a it's a chair yoga class, but we all co we come into people come in together. We have connections with each other. We talk about things while we're doing chair yoga. We, um, you know, I talk about and I encourage people to think about this is a community. We're coming into this place to do chair yoga, but we're we're it's a community and we're doing we're a community of people doing the same thing together. And that um, impacts our lives. And so. You know, when I when I was away for a couple of weeks, uh, one of the women came back and she said, oh, I so missed our community. And yoga, too, she said, but I so missed the community, you know, so it's sort of that's what I want people to experience is that we're here. We're doing an individual thing, but we're all connected in that fact that we're doing this thing together. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. So that's my paid kind of stuff. And I, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, I had the opportunity to join a group, um, a writing thing called Wild Writing. Uh, a woman offered it from the States and she offered it for free. And it was a, a 21 days of wild writing. And uh, every day, except on weekends, we got a, um, I mean, we did on weekends. I don't know how the 21 day thing worked. But anyway, we got a video with her reading a poem and giving us a prompt and then doing a 15 minute timed writing. So I did that every day for over, I did that 21 day one. And, and then she offered a kind of a, sub, a subscription and you could get three poems, a week, whatever. So I continued on with that. But I also had belonged to a journal writing circle that met live before the pandemic happened. And when I got 
into the when we got into the terror of what was really going to happen to us in the pandemic, uh, which was being locked away and isolated, I uh, started to offer online writing circles and I offered them for free. Because I thought, oh, this woman, that's a great idea. Offer them for free for people so they don't have to worry about whether they can afford to come or not. So I offered, so I had a, I thought, oh, if I get six or eight people, I'd be lucky. You know, I advertised through uh, Facebook and my my yoga page that I used to have on Facebook. And I actually had enough women to do two groups. So I ran two circles um, for, I would say, about 16 weeks. We did two, you know, eight week and then we'd stop for a week and then we did another eight week. And I still had up until, you know, our, my break, I took a break with everything that's been happening in my life with grandkids and kids and stuff and um, still had a core group of about five women that have continued to, to come to my that writing circle. And um, and, you know, I've charged a little bit for it now, but. So it's sort of, yeah, so I've sort of, I've, I've moved from, you know, I moved from leading groups to teaching in a social work um, or a social service work diploma program. And, um, and then when I left, I needed to, you know, I wanted to take, when I retired six years ago, I wanted to bring, um, to not, I, I thought about what did I love the most about my job? Uh, leading groups, you know, leading circles. So I can continue to do that. I have the skills and the capacity to do that now. Hmm. Yeah, you hope to continue doing it. So a, a writing circle looks like? Okay, so what it looks like, um, prompts. So we use poems, we use poetry. And uh, I've found and learned so much from poetry over the years, just doing that. Um, I talk to people about the uh, when they come into the circle, we're not going to talk about each other's writing. We're not going to critique each other's writing. We're not even going to say, oh, that was awesome or beautiful. We're just going to hold the space for each other. So we're just going to sit here as witness to whatever somebody has to say or wants to share with us. And so we write for timed writing. So we might write for 10 minutes or or 15 minutes, depending on the size of the group and the time we have. And then um, and then we come back to the circle. And I say, you know, you always have the opportunity. You always have the choice. You don't have to read what you've written. It's a choice. And part of the part of the 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 benefits of a group like this is that when we read our writing out loud, we hear something different. So we learn something about ourselves that we wouldn't otherwise learn if we didn't. And and that can be very powerful. So, you know, we're, I've never had a woman not read a piece of of what they've written in a, in a circle, except for if they were having a bad day, they, you know what, this is just like, pff, I can't do it today, but mostly they, um, so holding the space for each other and that, that, that idea of we are witnessing each other and, and, and holding that space for someone to be with whatever they're at, uh, be wherever they're at and be with whatever's going on in their lives. It's like a sacred place. And so we hold the space for each other. And um, and so we write, we do three, usually three writings, and then we say goodbye. And then we come back and the, the next time and we do the same thing. And what we've discovered through that practice, um, and I, I'm in several circles, I'm in uh, one that I lead, a couple that I lead, and then two or three that I don't lead that I'm part of. But what we've discovered is how close you get to each other. I mean, you tell things, you tell things, you write things, and you wouldn't tell, 
your neighbor or your friend a lot of the time. You're really getting through the layers of self into things that are really, even if you're just writing, you know, to a prompt about um, the weather's great today or whatever it is, right? You, you write what you need to write and you 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 touch down into something about uh, of your of yourself that you might not have otherwise shared. I think there's a couple of things that come to mind for me. Like one of my favorite writers, his name is Henry Now, and he he actually said, you know, to tell your story and to make space for someone to tell theirs is the greatest act of hospitality you could ever give. It's the greatest gift. Mm-hmm. And he went so far as to say, actually, this is holy. It's a holy thing. Mm-hmm. It's a divine kind of a thing, regardless of what it is that you believe about about the universe. He's just—he essentially was just saying, "Nope, there's something mysterious that happens when you when you do that." So that was the first thing. And then you said something else that I, you know, just to draw back on while you're thinking about it. I literally this morning, it came out of my mouth. Um, I one of the weird things about doing a podcast is that sometimes you have to listen to yourself. And we we released, uh, uh, we've just started a brand new series this morning. It, the first episode came out this morning. And it's a funny thing because I'm a talker. <laughs> I, I talk. Obviously, I talk. Um, but I don't always feel very readily. Feel, feelings are a little bit harder for me to access, in particular in the moment. And it's an interesting thing because one of the great gifts of doing the podcast uh, is that I'll talk in the podcast and then I listen back to it and I listen back and hear my feelings. I hear the emotion in some of the things that I say that I didn't actually recognize when I was saying them. Mm-hmm. And even this morning, it happened this morning. I was listening to the thing. I heard myself say something and I had a feeling. I had some tears about it even. And I was like, holy smoke. Weird. I don't remember feeling emotional when I said that at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the gift you're even talking about when you talk about this writing. Like, so, right, you, you write something down and, and you said it, you, you just said, and then you hear yourself say or read it back and you hear, you hear your emotions that maybe aren't as easy to get at. And I think the same thing is the other way around. I think it's true of people who have a lot of feelings and they write things down and they realize, oh, there's some actually legitimate thinking going on here. Good thought, helpful thought in your writing. So it's part of the practice of, of, of activating kind of all three of your centers of intelligence and using, uh, using those things to grow, mm-hmm. which I love. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a practice. And, and, and also at the same time, you're, 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 you're having the experiences, experience of being a witness for others. So you're holding that and you're hearing what they have to say. And you're like, oh my, okay, that I can relate to that. Or that doesn't, I have, can't relate to that at all, but it, it might stir something up in you that supports you then to dig further or write different or, 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 um, or, learn something else about yourself. And I think the other thing that came from um, all the, the the last three years of writing for me is I've become a better writer. You know, doing all that writing, I've become better at it. And I've become better at it because some of the groups I'm in, wow, the writers in those groups are incredible writers. And so I'm learning from them as well. So it's a learning opportunity as well as it is a, a growing opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> It's a funny thing too. Like you, you said a couple of other things I thought were really fascinating. I'll, I'll point the two out more. Two more things I'm noticing. <laughs> um, sometimes there's safety in doing something on on the computer with maybe people that aren't your family or your best friend. Uh, 
which I think is shocking. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people go, well, I can't, I can't do a group with a bunch of strangers. And then they get in there and they go, well, I'm never going to meet these people. I'm safer here than I am anywhere else. Yeah, you can practice. You can practice and go. And I've had people say things in group that I'm like, no way you're saying that in a group of your neighbors. Yeah. Like you would just be too afraid of how they would respond or how they would think, what they would feel or what 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 would change about their opinion of you. And when you're in a group of, you know, would-be strangers for the purposes of growth or writing or whatever, there is, it's a weird thing. There's a sense of freedom there. There is, yeah. And then the other thing you just commented on, which I think is really fascinating. But one of the rules is you can't respond. You, you can't, you know, if that, if that individual starts to cry, then you just recognize that the tears are important and we don't stop them. If somebody, right, it's like all of those kind of things, it's like actually, and, and that gives the reader the freedom to like, mm-hmm not feel like they need to try to manipulate the crowd, to not feel like they have to say, right? Any of those things. And it removes this, like, in my, I'm a people pleaser, I think. I'm an entertainer too, I think, in a lot of ways. It removes all of that. And you get beyond, this is what I heard you say in this, I'm going to put it in the language that I learned in the course. You get beyond the ego story of people's lives and they get a chance to access their soul story. And there is something just like beautiful about seeing somebody engaging their soul story. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah. I love that. And I, you know, I, it, it also reminds me of the times that I taught uh, counseling skills to my students when, you know, we'd start off with active listening and, 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 you, you know, you don't say anything, you don't, you don't, you just sit there and you listen. That's the first practice. You don't say anything. You just sit there and listen. Then you then you are able to engage after your ability to reflect back and engage with people and, and reflect back what you're hearing them tell you. Then you can start asking questions. But we're going to talk. We're going to go with open ended questions, not closed questions. Right. And you're going to learn that practice. But I also told them that one of the most powerful things people will ever experience and that could change their lives completely in a 10, 15 minute session is to be heard, to be listened to, to just be listened to, right? How often do you experience that in your daily life? Right. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. Oh, what a, what a great vision. I, I hope that you continue to grow this. And that more people, whether it's through you or other spaces, start start finding um, connections like this. Because I, I will say this has been one of the more beautiful parts of my last year is, is having a few of these kinds of opportunities and the close connectedness that I feel in my own group of, in my case, friends who really are chosen family in so many ways. And, and, and I, I do think that the, the power that is present when we enter into a group of people and when that group of people is committed to the same safe rules that we have, people experience transformation in a way that you, you sometimes just can't do alone. And I think that that's one of the greatest gifts that group circle conversations bring 
a vulnerability and a sense of like genuineness of what's happening. So, Hey, and I feel like we've kind of got that out of, out of you today and your, some of your stories and the way that you've shared. And so how could people say somebody wanted to join one of your writing circles? How would they do that? But you could email me and um, I can give you my email. And, uh, and, and also if you're listening and you think, Oh, I'd really try that. I'd like to try that. And I know some people that might want to, and you want, uh, you know, someone to lead that for you, then I can also do that. And I won't be having any groups until September. Now I won't be offering anything until September. And I also have a Facebook page, but it's not really a Facebook page specifically for that yet, but I might end up uh, doing that, but um, mostly by email. Okay. And your email is? dlwandler at gmail.com. Okay. dlwandler. Yeah. Cool. Oh, Deb, this has been so great. So, so great. It's been awesome for me too, to be able to come to, yeah, just to have the opportunity to talk about this with people that are interested and, and to share stories and to, to feel um, heard and seen. So thank you. Good. Thank you for that. Yeah. Love it. yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so much for your time today. And Thank you so much, both of you. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. It was a gift. Have okay. a good okay. afternoon. Okay. Yeah, you too. Take mm-hmm. care. Mm-hmm. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us. If this episode or the podcast has been helpful to you in any way, it would mean so much to us if you would take just 30 seconds to do one or all of these three things. First, Follow or subscribe to the Unpacked podcast. This helps you never miss an episode and it goes right to your device. And it helps us so more people can find it too. To do this, head to the show page on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Then just look for the follow or the plus sign and click it. It's so important to us and it would mean so much. And hey, while you're there, if you'd be willing to give us a review, preferably five star, and share an episode with a friend that you found helpful, we would be so grateful. We are so, so grateful for this little online community. And if you're looking for more ways to support or exclusive content, you can head to our Patreon account and you can find that in the link in our bio. Again, thanks for listening.